0: A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen. Act One, Scene. A room furnished comfortably and tastefully, but not extravagantly. At the back, a door to the right leads to the entrance hall. Another to the left leads to Helmer's study. Between the doors stands a piano. In the middle of the left-hand wall is a door, and beyond, a window. Near the window are a round table, armchairs, and a small sofa. In the right-hand wall, at the farther end, another door. And on the same side, nearer the footlights, a stove, two easy chairs, and a rocking chair. Between the stove and the door, a small table. Engravings on the walls, a cabinet with china and other small objects, a small bookcase with well-bound books. The floors are carpeted, and a fire burns in the stove. It is winter. A bell rings in the hall. Shortly afterward, the door is heard to open. Enter Nora, humming a tune and in high spirits. She is in outdoor dress and carries a number of parcels. These she lays on the table to the right. She leaves the outer door open after her, and through it is seen a porter who is carrying a Christmas tree and a basket, which he gives to the maid who has opened the door. Nora. Hide the Christmas tree carefully, Helen, Be sure the children do not see it till this evening, when it is dressed. To the porter, taking out her purse. How much? Porter. Sixpence. Nora. There is a shilling. No, keep the change. The porter thanks her and goes out. Nora shuts the door. She is laughing to herself as she takes off her hat and coat. She takes a packet of macaroons from her pocket and eats one or two then goes cautiously to her husband's door and listens. Yes, he is in. Still humming, she goes to the table on the right. Helmer calls out from his room. Is that my little lark twittering out there? Nora, busy opening some of her parcels. Yes, it is. Helmer, is it my little squirrel bustling about? Nora, yes. Helmer, when did my squirrel come home? Nora. Just now. Puts the bag of macaroons into her pocket and wipes her mouth. Come in here, Torvald, and see what I have bought. Helmer. Don't disturb me. A little later, he opens the door and looks into the room, pen in hand. Bought, did you say? All these things. Has my little spendthrift been wasting money again? Nora. Yes, but Torvald. This year we really can let ourselves go a little. This is the first Christmas that we have not needed to economize. Helmer. Still, you know, we can't spend money recklessly. Nora. Yes, Torvald, we may be a wee bit more reckless now, mayn't we? Just a tiny wee bit. You are going to have a big salary and earn lots and lots of money. Helmer. Yes, after the new year. But then it will be a whole quarter before the salary is due. Nora. Pooh. We can borrow till then. Helmer. Nora goes up to her and takes her playfully by the ear. The same little featherhead. Suppose now that I borrowed fifty pounds today, and you spent it all in the Christmas week, and then on New Year's Eve a slate fell on my head and killed me, and Nora, putting her hands over his mouth, Oh, don't say such horrid things. Helmer. Still, suppose that happened. What then? Nora. If that were to happen, I don't suppose I should care whether I owed money or not. Helmer. Yes, but what about the people who had lent it? Nora. They? Who would bother about them? I should not know who they were. Helmer. That is like a woman. But seriously, Nora— you know what I think about that. No debt, no borrowing. There can be no freedom or beauty about a home life that depends on borrowing and debt. We too have kept bravely on the straight road so far, and we will go on the same way for the short time longer that there need be any struggle. Nora, moving toward the stove. As you please, Torvald. Helmer, following her. Come, come, my little Skylark must not droop her wings. What is this? Is my little squirrel out of temper? Taking out his purse. Nora, what do you think I've got here? Nora, turning round quickly. Money! Helmer, there you are. Gives her some money. Do you think I don't know what a lot is wanted for housekeeping at Christmas time? Nora, counting. Ten shillings. A pound. Two pounds. Thank you. Thank you, Torvald. That will keep me going for a long time. Helmer. Indeed it must. Nora. Yes, yes it will. But come here and let me show you what I have bought. And all so cheap. Look, here is a new suit for Evar, and a sword, and a horse and a trumpet for Bob, and a doll and a dolly's bedstead for Emmy. They are very plain, but anyway, she will soon break them in pieces. And here are dress lengths and handkerchiefs for the maids— Old Anne ought really to have something better. Helmer. And what is in this parcel? Nora, crying out, No, no, you mustn't see that till this evening. Helmer. Very well. But now tell me, you extravagant little person, what would you like for yourself? Nora, For myself? Oh, I'm sure I don't want anything. Helmer, Yes, but you must. Tell me something reasonable that you would particularly like to have. Nora. No, I really can't think of anything. Unless, Torvald, Helmer, well? Nora, playing with his coat buttons and without raising her eyes to his. If you really want to give me something, you might... You might... Helmer, well, out with it. Nora, speaking quickly... You might give me money, Torvald, only just as much as you can afford, and then one of these days I will buy something with it. Helmer, but Nora. Nora, oh, do, dear Torvald, please, please do. Then I will wrap it up in beautiful gilt paper and hang it on the Christmas tree. Wouldn't that be fun? Helmer, what are little people called that are always wasting money? Nora, spendthrifts, I know. Let us do as I suggest, Torvald, and then I shall have time to think what I am most in want of. That's a very sensible plan, isn't it? Helmer, smiling. Indeed, it is. That is to say, if you were really to save out of the money I give you, and then really buy something for yourself. But if you spend it all on the housekeeping and any number of unnecessary things, then I merely have to pay up again. Nora. Oh, but Torvald. Helmer. You can't deny it, my dear little Nora. Puts his arm around her waist. It's a sweet little spendthrift, but she uses up a deal of money. One would hardly believe how expensive such little persons are. Nora. It's a shame to say that. I do really save all I can. Helmer, laughing. That's very true. All you can. But you can't save anything. Nora, smiling quietly and happily. You haven't any idea how many expenses we Skylarks and Squirrels have, Torvald. Helmer, you are an odd little soul, very like your father. You always find some new way of wheedling money out of me, and as soon as you have got it, it seems to melt in your hands. You never know where it has gone. Still, one must take you as you are. It is in the blood. For indeed, it is true that you can inherit these things, Nora." Nora. Ah, I wish I had inherited many of Papa's qualities. Helmer. And I would not wish you to be anything but just what you are, my sweet little Skylark. But do you know, it strikes me that you are looking rather—what shall I say? Rather uneasy today. Nora. Do I? Helmer. You do. Really. Look straight at me. Nora looks at him. Well? Helmer, wagging his finger at her. Hasn't Miss Sweet Tooth been breaking rules in town today? Nora. No, what makes you think that? Helmer. Hasn't she paid a visit to the confectioners? Nora. No, I assure you, Torvald. Helmer. Not been nibbling sweets? Nora. No, certainly not. Helmer. Not even taken a bite of macaroon or two? Nora. No, Torvald, I assure you, really. Helmer. There, there. Of course I was only joking. Nora, going to the table on the right. I should not think of going against your wishes. Helmer. No, I am sure of that. Besides, you gave me your word. Going up to her. Keep your little Christmas secrets to yourself, my darling. They will all be revealed tonight when the Christmas tree is lit, no doubt. NORA. Did you remember to invite Dr. Rank? HELMER. No, but there is no need. As a matter of course, he will come to dinner with us. However, I will ask him when he comes in this morning. I have ordered some good wine. NORA. You can't think how I am looking forward to this evening. NORA. So am I. And how the children will enjoy themselves, Torvald. HELMER. It is splendid to feel that one has a perfectly safe appointment and a big enough income. It's delightful to think of, isn't it? Nora, it's wonderful. Helmer, do you remember last Christmas? For a full three weeks beforehand, you shut yourself up every evening till long after midnight, making ornaments for the Christmas tree and all the other fine things that were to be a surprise to us. It was the dullest three weeks I ever spent. Nora. I didn't find it dull. Helmer, smiling. But there was precious little result, Nora. Nora. Oh, you shouldn't tease me about that again. How could I help the cats going in and tearing everything to pieces? Helmer. Of course you couldn't, poor little girl. You had the best of intentions to please us all, and that's the main thing. But it is a good thing that our hard times are over. Nora. Yes, it is really wonderful. Helmer. This time I needn't sit here and be dull all alone, and you needn't ruin your dear eyes and your pretty little hands. Nora, clapping her hands. No, Torvald, I needn't any longer, need I? It's wonderfully lovely to hear you say so. Taking his arm. Now, I will tell you how I have been thinking we ought to arrange things, Torvald. As soon as Christmas is over, a bell rings in the hall. There's the bell. She tidies the room a little. There's someone at the door. What a nuisance. Helmer. If it is a caller, remember, I am not at home. Maid. In the doorway. A lady to see you, ma'am. A stranger. Nora. Ask her to come in. Maid. To Helmer. The doctor came at the same time, sir. Helmer, did he go straight into my room? Maid, yes, sir. Helmer goes into his room. The maid ushers in Mrs. Lynde, who is in traveling dress, and shuts the door. Mrs. Lynde, in a dejected and timid voice, How do you do, Nora? Nora, doubtfully. How do you do, Mrs. Lynde? You don't recognize me, I suppose. Nora. No, I don't know. Yes, to be sure, I seem to— Suddenly. Yes, Christine, is it really you? Mrs. Lynde. Yes, it is I. Nora. Christine, to think of my not recognizing you, and yet how could I? In a gentle voice. How you have altered, Christine. Mrs. Lynde. Yes, I have indeed. In nine— Ten long years. "'Nora. "'Is it so long since we met? "'I suppose it is. "'The last eight years have been a happy time for me, I can tell you. "'And so now you have come into the town "'and have taken this long journey in winter. "'That was plucky of you. "'Mrs. Lynde. "'I arrived by steamer this morning. "'Nora. "'To have some fun at Christmas time, of course. "'How delightful! "'We will have such fun together!' "'But take off your things. "'You are not cold, I hope.' "'Helps her. "'Now we will sit down by the stove and be cozy. "'No, take this armchair. "'I will sit here in the rocking chair.' "'Takes her hands. "'Now you look like your old self again. "'It was only the first moment. "'You are a little paler, Christine, "'and perhaps a little thinner, "'Mrs. Lynde, "'and much, much older, Nora. "'Nora, "'perhaps a little older.' Very, very little. Certainly not much. Stops suddenly, and speaks seriously. What a thoughtless creature I am, chattering away like this. My poor, dear Christine, do forgive me. Mrs. Lynde. What do you mean, Nora? Nora, gently. Poor Christine. You are a widow. Mrs. Lynde. Yes. It is three years ago now. Nora. Yes, I knew— I saw it in the papers. I assure you, Christine, I meant ever so often to write to you at the time, but I always put it off, and something always prevented me. Mrs. Lynde, I quite understand, dear. Nora, it was very bad of me, Christine. Poor thing, how you must have suffered. And he left you nothing. Mrs. Lynde, no. Nora, and no children? Mrs. Lynde, no. Nora, "'Nothing at all, then?' Mrs. Lynde. "'Not even any sorrow or grief to live upon.' "'Nora, looking incredulously at her. "'But Christine, is that possible?' "'Mrs. Lynde smiles sadly and strokes her hair. "'It sometimes happens, Nora. "'Nora, so you are quite alone. "'How dreadfully sad that must be. "'I have three lovely children,' You can't see them just now, for they are out with their nurse. But now you must tell me all about it. Mrs. Lynde. No, no. I want to hear about you. Nora. No, you must begin. I mustn't be selfish today. Today I must only think of your affairs. But there is one thing I must tell you. Do you know that we have just had a great piece of good luck? Mrs. Lynde. No. What is it? Nora. Just fancy. My husband has been made manager of the bank. Mrs. Lynde. Your husband? What good luck. Nora. Yes, tremendous. A barrister's profession is such an uncertain thing, especially if he won't undertake unsavory cases. And naturally, Torvald has never been willing to do that, and I quite agree with him. You may imagine how pleased we are. He is to take up his work in the bank at the new year, and then he will have a big salary and lots of commissions. For the future, we can live quite differently. We can do just as we like. I feel so relieved and so happy, Christine. It will be splendid to have heaps of money and not need to have any anxiety, won't it? Mrs. Lynde. Yes. Anyhow, I think it would be delightful to have what one needs. Nora. "'No, not only what one needs, but heaps and heaps of money!' Mrs. Lynde, smiling. "'Nora, Nora, haven't you learned sense yet? In our school days you are a great spendthrift.' "'Nora, laughing. "'Yes, that is what Torvald says now,' wags her finger at her. "'But Nora, Nora, is not so silly as you think. "'We have not been in a position for me to waste money. "'We have both had to work.' "'Mrs. Lynde.' "'You too?' "'Nora. "'Yes. Odds and ends. Needlework, crochet work, embroidery and that kind of thing.' Dropping her voice. "'And other things as well. "'You know Torvald left his office when we were married. "'There was no prospect of promotion there, "'and he had to try and earn more than before. "'But during the first year he overworked himself dreadfully. "'You see, he had to make money every way he could, "'and he worked early and late.' but he couldn't stand it and fell dreadfully ill, and the doctor said it was necessary for him to go south. Mrs. Lynde, You spent a whole year in Italy, didn't you? Nora, Yes. It was no easy matter to get away, I can tell you. It was just after Ivar was born, but naturally we had to go. It was a wonderfully beautiful journey, and it saved Torvald's life. But it cost a tremendous lot of money, Christine." Mrs. Lynde. So I should think. Nora. It cost about two hundred and fifty pounds. That's a lot, isn't it? Mrs. Lynde. Yes. And in emergencies like that, it is lucky to have the money. Nora. I ought to tell you that we had it from Papa. Mrs. Lynde. Oh, I see. It was just about that time that he died, wasn't it? Nora. Yes. And just think of it. "'I couldn't go and nurse him. "'I was expecting little Ivar's birth every day, "'and I had my poor, sick Torvald to look after. "'My dear, kind father. "'I never saw him again, Christine. "'That was the saddest time I have known since our marriage.' "'Mrs. Lynde, I know how fond you were of him. "'And then you went off to Italy? "'Nora. "'Yes. "'You see, we had money then, "'and the doctors insisted on our going.' so we started a month later. Mrs. Lynde. And your husband came back quite well. Nora. As sound as a bell. Mrs. Lynde. But—the doctor. Nora. What doctor? Mrs. Lynde. I thought your maid said the gentleman who arrived here just as I did was the doctor. Nora. Yes, that was Dr. Rank, but he doesn't come here professionally. He is our greatest friend— and comes in at least once every day. No, Torvald has not had an hour's illness since then, and our children are strong and healthy, and so am I, jumps up and claps her hands. Christine, Christine, it's good to be alive and happy. But how horrid of me. I'm talking of nothing but my own affairs. Sits on a stool near her and rests her arms on her knees. You mustn't be angry with me. Tell me is it really true that you did not love your husband? Why did you marry him? Mrs. Lynde. My mother was alive then, and was bedridden and helpless, and I had to provide for my two younger brothers, so I did not think I was justified in refusing his offer. Nora. No, perhaps you were quite right. He was rich at that time then? Mrs. Lynde. I believe he was quite well off but his business was a precarious one, and when he died it all went to pieces, and there was nothing left. Nora. And then? Mrs. Lind. Well, I had to turn my hand to anything I could find—first a small shop, then a small school, and so on. The last three years have seemed like one long working day, with no rest. Now it is at an end, Nora. My poor mother needs me no more, for she is gone— and the boys do not need me either. They have got situations, and can shift for themselves. Nora, what a relief you must feel it. Mrs. Lynde, no, indeed. I only feel my life unspeakably empty. No one to live for any anymore. Gets up restlessly. That was why I could not stand the life in my little backwater any longer. I hope it may be easier here to find something which will busy me and occupy my thoughts. If only I could have the good luck to get some regular work—office work of some kind. Nora. But, Christine, that is so frightfully tiring, and you look tired out now. You'd far better go away to some watering place. Mrs. Lynde, walking to the window. I have no father to give me money for a journey, Nora. 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 Rising. Oh, don't be angry with me, Mrs. Lynde, going up to her. It is you that must not be angry with me, dear. The worst of a position like mine is that it makes one so bitter. No one to work for, and yet obliged to be always on the lookout for chances. One must live, and so one becomes selfish. When you told me of the happy turn your fortunes have taken, you will hardly believe it. I was delighted not so much on your account as on my own. Nora. How do you mean? Oh, I understand. You mean that perhaps Torvald could get you something to do? Mrs. Lynde. Yes, that was just what I was thinking of. Nora. He must, Christine. Just leave it to me. I will broach the subject very cleverly. I will think of something that will please him very much. It will make me so happy to be of some use to you. Mrs. Lynde. How kind you are, Nora, to be so anxious to help me. It is doubly kind in you, for you know so little of the burdens and troubles of life. Nora. I? I know so little of them. Mrs. Lynde, smiling. My dear. Small household cares and that sort of thing. You are a child, Nora. Nora tosses her head, and crosses the stage. You ought not to be so superior, Mrs. Lynde. No. Nora. You are just like the others. They all think that I am incapable of anything really serious. Mrs. Lynde. Come, come. Nora. That I have gone through nothing in this world of cares. Mrs. Lynde. But, my dear Nora, you have just told me all your troubles. Nora. Pooh. "'Those were trifles,' lowering her voice. "'I have not told you the important thing.' "'Mrs. Lynde, the important thing? What do you mean?' "'Nora, you look down upon me altogether, Christine, but you ought not to. You are proud, aren't you, of having worked so hard and so long for your mother?' "'Mrs. Lynde, indeed, I don't look down on anyone.' "'But it is true that I am both proud and glad "'to think I was privileged to make the end of my mother's life "'almost free from care. "'Nora. "'And you are proud to think of what you have done for your brothers. "'Mrs. Lynde. "'I think I have the right to be. "'Nora. "'I think so, too. "'But now listen to this. "'I, too, have something to be proud and glad of. "'Mrs. Lynde. "'I have no doubt you have. "'But what do you refer to? "'Nora.' Speak low. Suppose Torvald were to hear. He mustn't, on any account, no one in the world must know, Christine, except you, Mrs. Lynde. But what is it? Nora, come here. Pulls her down on the sofa beside her. Now, I will show you that I, too, have something to be proud and glad of. It was I who saved Torvald's life. Mrs. Lynde. Saved? How? Nora. I told you about our trip to Italy. Torvald would never have recovered if he had not gone there. Mrs. Lynde. Yes, but your father gave you the necessary funds. Nora, smiling. Yes, that is what Torvald and the others think. But, Mrs. Lynde, but... Nora. Papa didn't give us a shilling. It was I who procured the money. Mrs. Lynde. "'You? All that large sum?' "'Nora. Two hundred and fifty pounds. What do you think of that?' "'Mrs. Lynde. "'But, Nora, how could you possibly do it? Did you win a prize in the lottery?' "'Nora. Contemptuously. "'In the lottery? There would have been no credit in that.' "'Mrs. Lynde. But where did you get it from, then?' "'Nora. Humming and smiling with an air of mystery.' Mrs. Lynde. Because you couldn't have borrowed it. Nora. Couldn't I? Why not? Mrs. Lynde. No. A wife cannot borrow without her husband's consent. Nora. Tossing her head. Oh, if it is a wife who has any head for business. A wife who has the wit to be a little clever. Mrs. Lynde. I don't understand it at all, Nora. 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 There is no need you should. I never said I borrowed the money. I may have got it some other way. Lies back on the sofa. Perhaps I have got it from some other admirers. When anyone is as attractive as I am. Mrs. Lynde, you are a mad creature. Nora, now you know you are full of curiosity, Christine. Mrs. Lynde, listen to me, Nora, dear. Haven't you been a little bit imprudent? Nora, Sits up straight. Is it imprudent to save your husband's life, Mrs. Lynde? It seems to me imprudent, without his knowledge, to Nora. But it was absolutely necessary that he should not know. My goodness, can't you understand that? It was necessary he should have no idea what a dangerous condition he was in. It was to me that the doctors came and said that his life was in danger and that the only thing to save him was to live in the south. "'Do you suppose I didn't try, first of all, to get what I wanted as if it were for myself?' "'I told him how much I should love to travel abroad like other young wives. "'I tried tears and entreaties with him. "'I told him that he ought to remember the condition I was in, "'and that he ought to be kind and indulgent to me. "'I even hinted that he might raise a loan. "'That nearly made him angry, Christine. "'He said I was thoughtless.' and that it was his duty as my husband not to indulge me in my whims and caprices, as I believe he called them. Very well, I thought. You must be saved. And that was how I came to devise a way out of the difficulty. Mrs. Lynde, and did your husband never get to know from your father that the money had not come from him? Nora, no, never. Papa died just at that time. I had meant to let him into the secret and beg him never to reveal it but he was so ill then. Alas, there never was any need to tell him. Mrs. Lynde. And since then, you have never told your secret to your husband. Nora. Good heavens, no! How could you think so? A man who has such strong opinions about these things? And besides, how painful and humiliating it would be for Torvald, with his manly independence, to know that he owed me anything— it would upset all our mutual relations altogether. Our beautiful, happy home would no longer be what it is now. Mrs. Lynde, do you mean never to tell him about it? Nora, meditatively and with a half smile. Yes. Some day, perhaps, after many years, when I am no longer as nice looking as I am now. Don't laugh at me. I mean, of course, when Torvald is no longer as devoted to me as he is now when my dancing and dressing up and reciting have palled on him. Then it may be a good thing to have something in reserve. Breaking off. What nonsense! That time will never come. Now what do you think of my great secret, Christine? Do you still think I am of no use? I can tell you, too, that this affair has caused me a lot of worry. It has been by no means easy for me to meet my engagements punctually. I may tell you, that there is something that is called, in business, quarterly interest, and another thing called payment in installments, and it is always so dreadfully difficult to manage them. I've had to save a little here and there, where I could, you understand. I've not been able to put aside much from my housekeeping money, for Torvald must have a good table. I couldn't let my children be shabbily dressed. I have felt obliged to use up all he gave me for them, the sweet little darlings." Mrs. Lynde. "'So it has all come out of your own necessaries of life, poor Nora?' "'Nora.' "'Of course. Besides, I was the one responsible for it. Whenever Torvald has given me money for new dresses and such things, I've never spent more than half of it. I've always bought the simplest and cheapest things. Thank heaven, any clothes look well on me, and so Torvald has never noticed it. But it was often very hard on me, Christine.' because it is so delightful to be really well-dressed, isn't it? Mrs. Lynde, quite so. Nora, well, then, I have found other ways of earning money. Last winter I was lucky enough to get a lot of copying to do, so I locked myself up and sat writing every evening until quite late at night. Many a time I was desperately tired, but all the same it was a tremendous pleasure to sit there working and earning money. It was like being a man. Mrs. Lynde. How much have you been able to pay off in that way? Nora. I can't tell you exactly. You see, it's very difficult to keep an account of a business matter of that kind. I only know that I have paid every penny that I could scrape together. Many a time, I was at my wit's end. Smiles. Then, I used to sit here and imagine that a rich old gentleman had fallen in love with me. Mrs. Lind. "'What? Who was it?' "'Nora. Be quiet. "'That he had died, and that when his will was opened "'it contained, written in big letters, the instruction, "'The lovely Mrs. Nora Helmer is to have all I possess "'paid over to her at once in cash.' "'Mrs. Lynde. "'But, my dear Nora, who could the man be?' "'Nora. Good gracious, can't you understand? "'There was no old gentleman at all.' It was only something that I used to sit here and imagine when I couldn't think of any way of procuring money. But it's all the same now. The tiresome old person can stay where he is, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care about him or his will either, for I am free from care now. Jumps up. My goodness, it's delightful to think of Christine. Free from care. To be able to be free from care, quite free from care. To be able to play and romp with the children to be able to keep the house beautifully and have everything just as Torvald likes it. And think of it. Soon the spring will come and the big blue sky. Perhaps we shall be able to take a little trip. Perhaps I shall see the sea again. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be alive and be happy. A bell is heard in the hall. Mrs. Lynde, rising. There is the bell. Perhaps I had better go. Nora. No, don't go. No one will come in here. It is sure to be for Torvald. Servant, at the hall door. Excuse me, ma'am. There is a gentleman to see the master, and as the doctor is with him. Nora. Who is it? Krogstad, at the door. It is I, Mrs. Helmer. Mrs. Lynde starts, trembles, and turns to the window. Nora takes a step toward him and speaks in a strained, low voice. You. What is it? What do you want to see my husband about? Krogstad? Bank business. In a way. I have a small post in the bank, and I hear your husband is to be our chief now. Nora. Then it is, Crogstad. Nothing but dry business matters, Mrs. Helmer. Absolutely nothing else. Nora. Be so good as to go into the study, then. She bows indifferently to him and shuts the door into the hall then comes back and makes up the fire in the stove. Mrs. Lynde. Nora. Who was that man? Nora. A lawyer by the name of Krogstad. Mrs. Lynde. Then it really was he. Nora. Do you know the man? Mrs. Lynde. I used to, many years ago. At one time he was a solicitor's clerk in our town. Nora. Yes, he was. Mrs. Lind. He is greatly altered. Nora. He made a very unhappy marriage. Mrs. Lynde. He is a widower now, isn't he? Nora. With several children. There now. It is burning up. Shuts the door of the stove and moves the rocking chair aside. Mrs. Lynde. They say he carries on various kinds of business. Nora. Really? Perhaps he does. I don't know anything about it but don't let us think of business. It is so tiresome. Dr. Rank comes out of Helmer's study. Before he shuts the door, he calls to him. No, my dear fellow, I won't disturb you. I would rather go into your wife for a little while. Shuts the door and sees Mrs. Lynde. I beg your pardon. It seems I'm disturbing you too. Nora. No, not at all. Introducing him. Dr. Rank, Mrs. Lynde. Rank. I have often heard Mrs. Lynde's name mentioned here. I think I passed you on the stairs when I arrived, Mrs. Lynde. Mrs. Lynde. Yes, I go up very slowly. I can't manage stairs well. Rank. Ah, some slight internal weakness. Mrs. Lynde. No, the fact is I have been overworking myself. Rank. Nothing more than that. Then I suppose you have come to town to amuse yourself with our entertainments— Mrs. Lynde, I have come to look for work. Rank, is that a good cure for overwork? Mrs. Lynde, one must live, Dr. Rank. Rank, yes, the general opinion seems to be that it is necessary. Nora, look here, Dr. Rank, you know you want to live. Rank, certainly, however wretched I may feel, I want to prolong the agony as long as possible. All my patients are like that. And so are those who are morally diseased. One of them, and a bad case, too, is at this very moment with Helmer. Mrs. Lynde. Sadly. Ah. Uh, Nora. Whom do you mean? Rank. A lawyer, by the name of Krogstad, a fellow you don't know at all. He suffers from a diseased moral character, Mrs. Helmer. But even he began of talking of its being highly important that he should live— Nora. Did he? What did he want to speak to Torvald about? Rank. I have no idea. I only heard that it was something about the bank. Nora. I didn't know this—what's-his-name—Krogstad—had anything to do with the bank. Rank. Yes, he has some sort of appointment there. To Mrs. Lynde. I don't know whether you find also in your part of the world— that there are certain people who go zealously snuffing about to smell out moral corruption, and, as soon as they have found some, put the person concerned into some lucrative position where they can keep their eye on him. Healthy natures are left out in the cold. Mrs. Lind. Still, I think the sick are those who most need taking care of. Rank, shrugging his shoulders. Yes, there you are. That is the sentiment that is turning society into a sick house. Nora, who has been absorbed in her thoughts, breaks out into smothered laughter and claps her hands. Rank. Why do you laugh at that? Have you any notion what society really is? Nora. What do I care about tiresome society? I am laughing at something quite different, something extremely amusing. Tell me, Dr. Rank, are all the people who are employed in the bank dependent on Torvald now? Rank. Is that what you find so extremely amusing? Nora, smiling and humming. That's my affair. Walking about the room. It's perfectly glorious to think that we have... That Torvald has so much power over so many people. Takes the packet from her pocket. Dr. Rank, what do you say to a macaroon? Rank. What? Macaroons? I thought they were forbidden here. Nora. Yes, "'But these are some Christine gave me.' "'Mrs. Lind. "'What? "'I?' "'Nora. "'Oh, well, don't be alarmed. "'You couldn't know that Torvald had forbidden them. "'I must tell you that he is afraid that they will spoil my teeth. "'But, bah, once in a way. "'That's so, isn't it, Dr. Rank? "'By your leave.' "'Puts a macaroon into his mouth. "'You must have one too, Christine. "'And I shall have one. "'Just a little one. "'Or at most two. "'Walking about.' I am tremendously happy. There is just one thing in the world now that I should dearly love to do. Rank. Well, what is that? Nora. It's something I should dearly love to say if Torvald could hear me. Rank. Well, why can't you say it? Nora. No, I daren't. It's so shocking. Mrs. Lynde. Shocking? Rank. Well, I should not advise you to say it. Still, with us, you might. What is it you would so much like to say if Torvald could hear you? Nora, I should just love to say, Well, I'm damned. Rank, are you mad? Mrs. Lynde, Nora, dear. Rank, say it. Here he is. Nora, hiding the packet. Hush, hush. Helmer comes out of his room with his coat over his arm and his hat in his hand. And we will pick it up there next time.